Hello, it's another podcast from your very good friends at Simon Mayo's Books of the Year. I'm yes. Simon Mayo. And I'm Matt Williams. And this Hello. is a little <laughs> conversation about Books of the Year. It is. Thanks for getting in touch. You can tweet us at Books of the Year. You can email Books of the Year at yahoo.com. <laughs> Terry Sale. I've just written my first book and would like to get it into the world so people can read it. But there seems to be an awful lot of vanity publishers waiting to extort money on the promise of getting the book published. What's the best way to get your book seen by reputable publishers? Okay, this is a question for you, definitely. I mean, I mean, everyone will tell a difference. I just think my story was slightly unusual. In fact, Ian is part of the story because when my first book, well, this is the Itch books now, uh-huh. when it got, the first uh, literary agent turned it down, uh, and I was thinking, okay, I must know someone who could help. So I'm having a cup of tea, and I take a cup of tea, and then I go on Twitter and I tweet Ian Rankin because I know he follows me, so therefore you can okay. send a direct message. And I said, do you know any literary agents? And immediately he tweets back saying, yeah, why don't you try this guy uh, called Sam. Uh, he won't be listening to this podcast because okay. he never doesn't take any interest <laughs> anymore. Anyway... So and there, so I thought, okay. So I get back in touch with Sam, and and he tweets tweets me straight back and says, yeah, email me the book. So I email him the book, and that weekend he's read it, and he he calls me up and says, but this is great. He obviously was expecting it to be rubbish, rubbish, yeah. Um, and so we meet up, and and everything came from there. Wow. So I I don't think Terry, I'm particularly well. Equipped. But this is one of those things where there's no one answer, is there? So it's sort of sometimes it's getting it under the right nose. That's that's what I, I would just be inherently suspicious of someone who wants you to give them money. No, no, no. Unless you're just going through the, the self-publishing or one of those, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. unbound. They're all really good people, you know. So our producer suggesting we give Ian Ranker's email address and home phone number. Okay, there yeah, you go. we yes, could do that. Go. Let's do that. Oh, three, <laughs> treble. Five, six? No. No. Just in case. Uh, Alex Forbes uh, email, because we're, we're asking you uh, what you're reading, what you're recommending. If, if you want to reply to Terry, if you know, and if you're in publishing, yes. and if, you, uh, if you're in a position to, to give a, a coherent answer, uh, send us an email to booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. Definitely. So Alex Forbes says he's, uh, or she's, currently reading Good Samaritans by Will Carver, uh, the author of Girl 4. It's brilliant. I can't put it down. If you love a dark and twisted noir, then look no further. Definitely my book of the year. I'd recommend it to everyone. I think Carver is a gem of a talent. I hope it's just a matter of time before he becomes a household name. Alan Smith just finished Treachery of Spies by Amanda Scott, who was on uh, this podcast quite quite a few months ago now, one of our first guests. Um, What a great book. So many twists and turns have just bought the prequel. I'm now keeping a Christmas wish list of books that you've discussed. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, Alan Smith. Uh, Night Watchman on Twitter said, Once a Pilgrim by James Deegan. Uh, it is my book of the year. It is a roller coaster of a read, a real page turner. Uh, and Verity Makes uh, has got a few uh, uh, suggestions, but, uh, well, a lot of these suggestions are books we've already done on the podcast. So, uh, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, uh, amazing story, I only cried once. Witches, a tale of sorcery, scandal, and seduction, very good, very educational. Star of the North, of course. Uh, we did that. Um, oh, that feels a long time ago. Uh, I, I work from home, running my own business, she says. If you mention my business, I will send you both a free hearse scrunchie. Excellent! We'll wow. definitely mention So Verity Makes. You haven't put the name of your business, Does Verity. she make... Is that what... Verity uh, Makes? Verity that Makes Hearse Maybe that's scrunchies. the name of her company. It could be either her name or the name... Well, it's a great name for either, isn't it? On the, but on the basis of the way this... All our offers have gone so far, you know, with people from abroad <laughs> offering us... 
thousands of pounds. Yes, Verity, you could be the first one to actually follow through on your promise. Yeah. Because I definitely, I mean, her scrunchies, that would go down very well. That's, Almost, an- but- that's another Christmas <laughs> present for your Absolutely. Wife. I could put that with the book. I'm saving money hand over fist. Brilliant word. <laughs> uh, and uh, Nikki Holland has, uh, has been in touch. Um, she talks about Blind, Kath Week's uh, debut novel, takes on a fairground ride of emotions, because uh, basically we were asking for recommendations and books that you mm. uh, particularly uh, enjoyed. Um, we build empathy with each parent as they discover the reality that they are faced with, the decisions they must make, and the fears that swim to the surface. As a parent myself, I found myself living each of the chapters, replaying them in my head to enable me to get a grip on my moral compass and to help me to decide what I would do if I'd been in that position. I quite literally couldn't put it down. A truly brilliant, brilliant story. And it's the debut novel Blind by Kath Weeks which is the suggestion of Nicky Holland. Absolutely. I'm, I'm constantly trying to gri- get a grip of my moral compass. So yeah. Yes, and, uh, yes. and, and singularly failed to find yes, it. Yes, as, as it turns out. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts and recommendations and stuff you want to talk about, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, it's books of the year at yahoo.com. Stand by now for some more top questions, fine answers from Ian Rankin. All right, Ian. Not bad, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Straight to the point. Like Tass- that. Taciturn, don't you? Yes, think? I thought so. This, this bodes well. Scottish and working class. <laughs> Chip on shoulder. <laughs> Chips, please. <laughs> Salt and sauce. Uh, what was the last book you really, really enjoyed? So it's not just really enjoyed, but really, really enjoyed. Really, really enjoyed. It would be a book by uh, an Icelandic writer called Ragnar Jonasson. And he's had a series of, um, he's written quite a few books set in the wilds of Iceland, but he's got a new one called The Darkness, and it features a woman police detective who's basically in her last few days on the job before she retires and uh, gets one last crack at a cold case. And I don't want to give too much away, but there are going to be three books in this series, and this is book one. And the ending really took my breath away. Really? And that's kind of hard for writers to do to me these days. And can because it was a surprise? Yeah, or? it was a complete surprise. And I should have seen it coming, and I didn't. Uh, and again, I don't want to give too much away. And she's a fantastic character. She's, um, you know, of an age. She's in her 50s. She's looking for love. Um, her personal life is part of the story. Um, the case involves um, kind of children who've been taken away from their families and put into orphanages, which is something that actually used to happen. It uh, doesn't happen so much these days. So it's a kind of social conscience thing, and she's a fantastic, complex 3D character. Uh, and I want to see more of her, so hooray, this is the first of a three-book series. And I imagine the Iceland is very evocative and part of the story. Yeah, I mean, he's very good at that. He's very good at, I mean, his previous books are set in this little town that's separated by a, a tunnel, you know, a kind of road tunnel from the outside world. And a lot of the time people can't get in or out because there's too much snow and ice and, and it's very inhospitable. Um, he's a huge fan of Agatha Christie. He used to translate, he might even still translate Agatha Christie into Icelandic. And um, there is that feel in his earlier books that they are structured as Agatha Christie-style mysteries. Um, this one's a bit different. Okay, just give us the name and the author again. Okay, so the book is The Darkness, and it's by Ragnar Jonasson. Okay. That's not a bad title, that. You pretty much know what you're going to get, don't you, as soon as that comes across. Uh, Is there a book you remember being read to you as a child? You know what? That's a tough one for me, because I don't. I don't remember my parents reading to me when I was a child. I remember books. There weren't many books in the house, but I was allowed um, Ladybird books, because they were cheap. 
and annuals and lots of comics. But that's what I remember. And I remember reading to myself, but I do not remember my parents reading it's to me. It's interesting how many authors have said the same thing, that they don't remember being read to as children. Yeah, I mean, we had our own inner worlds, and I was quite happy not being read to. Just a selection of beverages coming in. <laughs> Lovely. Astute listeners will, will notice that because they can hear the soundproof doors opening and the freeform jazz <laughs> yeah. from, the, uh, from the speakers outside, which are the only speakers that I've ever seen, which are probably better than Ian Rankin's speakers. The speakers that are worth more than my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are big loudspeakers. They are big. I've taken a photograph and then put it on Twitter. Mm. Is there a book that you would love to step inside of? I guess this is a world-building question, you know, where it was so... Because sometimes the world's created by authors as horrendous and you can't wait to get out. But is there one that's been so inviting you'd like to get inside? Yes, uh, it would be Jilly Cooper's Rivals. <laughs> uh, I'm a, and everybody laughs. Know, everybody laughs when that. I say that. I'm a huge fan well, of. Jilly I know Cooper. you're a massive Jilly Cooper fan. I'm a I huge that, Jilly yeah. Cooper yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're, my wife and I were snowed in one year. We lived in France and we were snowed in. And the only books in the house I hadn't read were my wife's Jilly Cooper novels. So I plucked out Rivals, a nice big fat book about a TV franchise, the fight for a TV franchise, and loved it to bits. I loved all the bad jokes, the puns. I loved all these larger-than-life characters, um, their adventures, the, the romping that, of course, goes on in a Julia Cooper novel. <laughs> uh, and it was just a world that seemed very real to me and I just wanted to be part of. I wanted to be part of that, that kind of hunting, fishing and shooting set that are all bouncing around the country having sex. <laughs> why, why ever not? Uh, is there an ending to a book that you'd like to change? Uh, I, probably Bleak House, Charles Dickens. I would have Lady Deadlock live. Uh, I really enjoyed that character. And I mean, spoiler alert, she dies at the end. Um, but there are various characters along the way who also pop their clogs. And I felt bad for every single one of them because I'd got to know them really well over the length of this very long, involved, wonderful novel. Uh, is there a book, Ian, you would ever be tempted to write the sequel to? I've, I've basically been writing the sequel to Jekyll and Hyde all my, all my professional life. I mean, the Rebus novels began as me trying to do a sequel to Jekyll and Hyde and updating it to 1980s Edinburgh. Nobody noticed when the book was published, so I wrote another Rebus novel and called it Hyde and Seek and managed to get the name into the title as a pun, and still nobody got it. But that's what I do. I keep writing books about good and evil and how within us we all have the capability to do good and to do evil. That was one of the first that I read of, of yours, and I, I didn't get the Hyde reference until you said it just now. Yeah. So, is there, that, yeah. And is that, is that still something that you kind of meditate on and pass that meditation on to us through the Rebus books, really? That, that kind of that line between good and evil and our capacity to do bad things. Well, I mean, I do think that Edinburgh, as with most cities, is a Jekyll and Hyde city. It's a city that on the surface looks lovely and well-structured, well-run, cultured and civilised. As soon as you start to scratch the surface, you find it's got huge social issues, it's got problems with crime, problems with drug abuse and you name it, of that all big urban um, conurbations have. But it's there physically in Edinburgh, the new town, the old town, the rational and the irrational, the planned and the unplanned, the Hyde and the Jekyll. And Stevenson, Robert Louis Stevenson, as a young man, would tiptoe up from the rational new town to the irrational old town to consort with vagabonds, prostitutes, poets, drunks, all the rest of it, because he was attracted to that darker side of life. 
Good for him. How long do you tend to give books before you decide this is just not working? Uh, yeah, it's not a matter of time. It's more a matter of length. You know, if you yeah, can, how many pages? If, you... Yeah, I mean, if you're three, four hundred pages into a six hundred page novel and it's not grabbing you, there was a time when I, I used to always, you know, you think, look, an author put a lot of work into this. Whether uh-huh. I think it's good or not, I owe it to them to finish it. And then along came Norman Mailer's Ancient Evenings uh, about ancient Egypt. And I was about 700 pages in and I just threw it down. I thought, no, I'm not finishing that. I was 100 pages away from finishing it. What? You were 700 pages in, 100 pages from the end yep. and thought, no. Hadn't enjoyed any of it. You know, I'd spent <laughs> wow. weeks reading this book, not enjoying it. Why, you know, give up, give up. And since then, I've been much better at giving up because time is pressing. Yeah. You know, time is pressing. And uh, for every book that you're struggling to read, there's another great book that you might discover. You're certainly the most tolerant, I think, of any author that we've come across. I mean, to to last 700 of 800 pages and then stop. But you must have had your opinion formed after 30 pages. Probably. But then I'd been told that Norman Mailer was a great American novelist. And I was at university when I read it and I thought, well, I've got to plough on, you know. I was used to ploughing through stuff I didn't like because it was just part of the curriculum. Uh, What is the, the first book you bought with your own money? Uh, it would probably have been a TV or film tie-in book. It would have been a cheap paperback that I would have bought in Kirkcaldy, which was the nearest town to us when I, where I grew up that had a bookshop. It could have been The Persuaders, the TV show. could have been a, a TV tie-in book of that. It could have been Where Eagles Dare. I was, oh, I was a huge fan of Alistair yeah. MacLean, and so was my dad. Um, is, or it would have been a, maybe a book that I wasn't old enough to go and see the film. So The Godfather. I got when I was about 12 because I wasn't old enough to go and see the film. I couldn't get to see X certificate movies. And that was a big draw of literature for me. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, Jaws, The Exorcist, um, French Connection. You couldn't get in to see the film, but by God, you could get your hands on the book. Yeah. I just think Alistair MacLean is the kind of, it's your dad's bookshelf, isn't it? Uh, there was a bunch of these kind of war writers at that time. Um, and they were, they were not great books, shall we say? Not great books. A lot of Dennis Wheatley. My mm. brother-in-law was a big fan of the, 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 the Dennis Wheatley books, the kind of, you know, devil, Satanism um, storylines. But I just thought, you know, that Alistair MacLean was the bee's knees. And then later, much later, found out that he was a native Gaelic speaker and was Scottish. Is that right? I, didn't, I mean, I didn't even... With a name like Alistair MacLean, maybe I should have twigged. Probably. There's always... There's, I wonder if there's always one book on your parents' shelves that you're not supposed to look at. Because my dad was a head teacher, and he had a book on his shelf, which was called The Law and Language of School Children. And it was just full of, as, it, as, as the title would suggest, full of rhyming couplets, which he did not encourage me to, <laughs> to read for fear that I would repeat them outside. But, you know, when, when they were out, you just sneak in a few a, So a why few did he pages. have the book then? So that he understood what the kids it were was saying? An, it was, you know, it was a proper academic okay. work on okay. the law and language of school children, but right. I think it was just a little bit fruity for my, <laughs> for my young <laughs> Little out of reach. Yes. Uh, is there a book, uh, Ian, that you've ever used to try to impress someone? Uh, I'm sure when I was at university, um, having staggered into university aged 18 from a, from a working class background and a, a comprehensive school, I would have been carrying around the usual suspects. There'd be a bit of Kerouac in there. Oh, there'd, yeah. there'd maybe be T.S. Eliot's poetry. There'd be maybe Derrida later on. Something <laughs> I was using to try and impress the, just, the, just the, the lady. Just thinking the satchel. The kind of Wrangler jacket. You know, the so kind of top good. pocket, the Wrangler jacket. And yeah, there it's yeah, popping yeah. out there. Your Sartre. <laughs> and, uh, and it never worked. Of course it never worked. You know, in one pocket was the book, in the other pocket was a packet of cigarettes, Galois, almost certainly, <laughs> that I never, ever smoked. I just used to offer them round at parties. Uh, and is there a book that you wish you'd written, for whatever reason, uh, artistic, financial, jealousy, 
there's lots. There's lots. I mean, Catch-22. We did Catch-22 when I was at high school, and I just loved that book and read it several times and thought it was a perfect novel in a way um, and wished I could write like that, but I couldn't. Bleak House, Charles Dickens, huge fan of that. I still reread it every few years. The Prime of Miss Jean Brodie, Muriel Spark. I did my PhD on Muriel Spark, and uh, it just seems to me an absolutely beautiful TARDIS of a book. It's much bigger on the inside than the outside. It's only 125 pages, but it packs a punch. We had a question on the last show that we did, the the Lee Child uh, Q&A, and a listener was asking whether there is ever a book that you've read, maybe when you were younger, uh, and you thought, I don't get this, this is rubbish. And then you come back to it 20, 30 years later, you go, oh, okay. And I think for, for our reader, it was Wuthering Heights, which, mm, which yeah, she'd right. read at school yeah. and thought it was boring, and then come back to it as an adult and kind of got it. Has that ever happened to you that you've, you know thought oh, I don't I don't really understand it and then come back to it uh, yeah I mean I, I probably tried reading Samuel Beckett's novels when I was too young I was sort of 14 or 15 when I tried to read Beckett and didn't really get it uh, and then when I was at university probably as a postgraduate started reading them again and got them a bit better and there's some of these but I mean, Shakespeare's like that I mean you know we studied Shakespeare relentlessly not just at high school but at university and I didn't really get a lot of it I think you don't really get King Lear until you've had a bit of life experience uh, and you know what it's like when life has dealt you a few blows or you've dealt with family situations that are, that are awkward, very awkward in his case. Um, so there's a lot of Shakespeare that I don't think you get until you're older. Yeah. Answering the questions for the Q&A has been Ian Rankin and if you want to hear the main interview, that is a show which came out a couple of days ago so if you look around, you'll find it there. Ian, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Ian. We did check. He doesn't want his email or his phone number given. Oh, does or he not? His address. Oh, dear. Just this time. Oh. Uh, thank you very much indeed for listening. He, I thought Ian was fascinating yeah, as ever. Definitely. On our next pod, Cressida Cowell, uh, she came up with How to Train Your Dragon. Yes. And she has a new book called The Wizards of Wands. Uh, also with us, Edward Brooke Hitchin who's written The Golden Atlas. This is a really... I'm just about to start that, and it looks really intriguing because it's basically... It's a book full of maps, but a lot of these maps are either... Well, they're ancient maps, or they are completely made up, which is really interesting. And they're golden. They're not golden. I mean, the, the cover's a bit golden. Anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful <laughs> book, and you'll hear from Edward, you'll hear from Cressida on our next programme. Thank you very much, indeed for downloading. Tell your friends... Yes, please. ...about Books of the Year. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.